Merry Christmas. <laughs> that, was a, that was a teaching moment. We're going to talk about this a little bit later about waiting in the dark. <laughs> but Merry Christmas. Welcome to those of you who are joining us online. We love you. We miss you. Please come back so we can hug you. Um, this morning, I'm super excited. I'm super, super excited. I love Christmas. Um, tonight, I'm actually going to finally decorate, and so I'm looking forward to that, but I'm, I'm even more excited to bring this word today because I really believe this is a prophetic message. It's a message that there are those of you today, this will actually change the trajectory of your life, and I know that sounds like a pretty it sounds like a pretty intense promise, but please open your heart to what the Holy Spirit has to speak to you today. Because again, God is not about education, but transformation. Like he says, you know, he doesn't know how much you care, or he doesn't care how much you know until he knows how much you care, right? It's about transformation. It's about being transformed by the renewing of your what? Yep, as we offer ourselves to the Lord. So this morning, I really believe this is a special Christmas present that God has for some of you. For those of you who are open and, and want to be transformed by the Lord, I really believe he's going to meet you here today. Um, and I'm also super excited to share with you that you guys generously gave to the Philippine Christmas Outreach. And uh, the amount was, drumroll, He's gone. $7,980. Woo! Now, when you consider in the Philippines, I mean, $7,900 might not seem like that much, but in the Philippines, I have read that the average annual income is $7,600 a year. So $7,980 goes way, way further in the Philippines than it does here. For those of you who have never been on a mission to the Philippines, I strongly recommend that the next time we go, you join us. Um, we were supposed to go in March of 2020, and then something happened. I can't remember what, but um, <laughs> something changed it. And, uh, but it's, it is life-changing to go over there. And, and, you know, it's always good to expand your global view right? I mean, I think in America, we have like, I love America. So just let me start out by saying that. But I do think that we become a little bit narrow in our, in our thinking and in our worldview. There are so many different cultures and so many different ways of thinking. And, and it's so mind expansive to go to a foreign country, especially to serve and to, and to give to people who are so grateful and people who have virtually nothing, and Kevin and Shanna Kligman are the, the pastors over there, and they are just doing a phenomenal job of expanding the kingdom of heaven and meeting the needs of the poor. And, you know, Jesus is really concerned about the poor. He was poor when he grew up. You know, Jesus didn't grow up in a palace. He didn't have a bunch of servants running around. He, he grew up in poverty, um, which we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks, but... Um, I also want to say that our very generous finance council decided to match the funds. So that means, yes, another drum roll, please. Anybody want to do the math? 79.80 times 2 is $15,960. Woo! Yay! I'm so proud of you guys. I'm so excited. I'm, I'm, I cannot wait to hear the stories that, that people are going to be able to tell. You know, it, it, 
money is a tool that God uses to expand his kingdom. It's not a bad thing. Again, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, but money is a, it's a necessity. And I just appreciate you guys so much sacrificing and giving to this very, very worthwhile cause. We love our Philippine churches, so God bless you guys. Um, today, as I mentioned, I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit will reframe your worldview. I'm hoping that by the end of today, the way that you think about life and the way that you think about things and the world and what's happening right now will be completely transformed. I'm really hoping that the word of God will penetrate your heart and change your mind and transform your life. Um, well, what is a worldview? A worldview has been compared, F.W. Borman claims, your worldview is like a telescope that you look through it's the way that you view things. And what he says is that at times we need to take a step back and examine that telescope. So to examine the way that we view things and to, and to let the Holy Spirit come in and change the way that we think. Don't you think that's a good thing? Not to just assume that your way of thinking is the right way and the only way, but to know that there are there is so much knowledge, so much knowledge out there, and so much to be gained, so much wisdom that can be gained from that information and from that knowledge. Um, again, COVID has, has been horrible. Yes? Anybody with me on that? Anybody loving COVID? Loving? Just, like, keep it going. Okay, it, it's going to continue. It's going to be with us forever. So um, how are we going to respond what is our view going to be? What is the worldview that we're going to be looking through? You know, trauma comes in and adds lenses that can distort our view. How many of you have seen people and, and you know that something traumatic must have happened to them because of the way that they view the world? Yeah? So today we're going to talk about that, but we're going to start with Luke chapter 2. We're just going to do like three little verses here, and then we're going to talk about having joy no matter what, okay? Turn to your neighbor and say, fasten your seatbelt. Luke chapter two, in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields, keeping watch at night over their flock. Okay, again, shepherds at that time were considered the lowest on the social caste. They were the lowest on, in, in society. People totally looked down on them. They didn't trust them. They were considered thieves and scoundrels. They couldn't even testify in court because people didn't believe anything they had to say. So this is the group that God decides he is going to proclaim his coming to. Isn't that just so classic Jesus? You know, we always say, say that, um, you know, God, God turns things upside down. God is a God of paradox. He's a God of the opposite. But really, in truth... God comes and turns things right side up rather than upside down. You know, because originally he created us to have a relationship with him. That was the whole point. That was why he created humankind, so that he could have a relationship with us, so that we could have peace with God. That's the whole point. And that is ultimately everything that God does is to get us back to that place where we can have peace with him. And one of the blessings that he wants to offer us t 
today is his joy as well. But the shepherds, these guys were, I mean, they're just sitting outside. Now imagine the scene. It's dark. The only light is probably the stars and, and the moon. There's no electricity. They're just chilling, sitting out there. And then it says, an angel. Oh, yeah, you want to do that? An angel of the Lord stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. Now, I, I did some research into the glory of the Lord. I tried to find a picture that would encapsulate it. But there were no pictures that... that I think would really describe it because it's not like, you know, we see the, on your Christmas cards, you know, you see the big light with the, all the pointy things, you know, and it's just like white and kind of, you know, just that's the glory of the Lord. Really? That's the best you got. Actually, it says in Ezekiel 128, it says the appearance of the brilliant light all around us was like that of a rainbow. So check it out. It's like, it's all of the colors. All of, I think they were probably God's favorite colors. And that is the glory of the Lord. It's like the Shekinah glory. It's like the extreme, beautiful, unimaginable, unimaginable glory that God provided to these guys who were the lowest on the rung. Isn't that just so classic, Jesus? He just does things so different than we would, doesn't he? And it says... It says, like, no, duh, they were terrified. Like I said last week, they were mega phobeos. They were extremely terrified. Wouldn't you be? Okay, remember, angels aren't these cute little fat, chubby, naked babies. Angels are terrifying creatures, which is why they always have to start every conversation out with, don't be afraid. It's okay. It's good. I'm from God. It's cool. That's how, that's how angels have to always start out their conversation because they're scary. Not in an icky way, but in a really good way. Angels are scary in an ominous way. But here they come and they're like, don't be afraid. And it says, I proclaim to you good news of, say it with me, great joy. So we talked last week about good news, but today he's talking about great joy. Megas chara, which means the extremest form of joy that you can imagine. This absolute joy. And it says this will be for all people. Um, if you imagine the glory of God, the closest thing that I can, that I can come up with is on this earth. Um, when I was a little kid, we always used to go up to the Boundary Waters Canoe area. Does anybody know where that is in Canada? Have you been there? It's amazing. It's like 500 square miles of wilderness. They won't even allow boats in there. They won't allow, allow any, any vehicles or anything. You just, you go and you park at the edge of it, and then it's all canoes or kayaks or whatever, and you have to put everything on your back. Well, we used to do this every year when I was in high school, and we would go up there and, and we'd hike, you know, and then we'd canoe into all these islands. It's, it's just like right north of International Falls, Minnesota, and um, we would go there every year, every summer, and we'd be sitting outside by the campfire, and all of a sudden, God would start showing off with the northern lights. Shoo, shoo, shoo. They would just be flat. I mean, 
If you've never seen the Northern Lights, figure out a way to do it. It's a serious bucket list issue. And I do believe that it, it, it represents the glory of God. You know, the Bible actually talks about that the skies are his craftsmanship. So when I get up in the morning and I'm, and I'm looking out at the skies, I always say, Lord, thank you for your craftsmanship. It's like he's so creative. He just, and he does it for us. And the problem is most people miss it. <laughs> it's like a blanket battle. It's a battle over your blankets. You know, you need to get out of your bed and get up and, and take it in, take in the beauty. You know, every sunset is different and it's all to the glory of God, right? That was a, that was a tangent. The Lexham Bible Dictionary describes joy this way. It is closely related to gladness and happiness, although joy is more of a state of being than an emotion. It is a result of choice. Get this? It's more a state of being. It's a lifestyle. This is saying that you can live with joy regardless of your circumstances, regardless of your suffering, regardless of waiting, regardless of, of your circumstances, you can find joy. And here... In Nehemiah 8.10, we can find joy in our weakness. It says, do not grieve because the joy of the Lord is your strength or your stronghold. This is the thing that will sustain you. The joy of the Lord will sustain you. This will strengthen you. And it's saying, do not grieve. And this is what I, I believe this is a timely message right now for people who are, who are struggling in the, the whole COVID thing. How many of you are sick of it? Yeah? Do you, want it, do you want God to change your mind today? Do you want to have your mind transformed today? Because I believe that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. And he's saying, don't grieve anymore. Don't lament this anymore. I have done this. God has allowed this so that he can prepare us for his return. Right? If you read this, you'll be like, what is happening? Some of the prophecies, it's, it's like you can just superimpose them over what you're seeing on your whatever, Google News or whatever news you watch. It's like it's all happening and it's accelerating. It is accelerating. Jesus is going to come back soon. If you start studying biblical prophecy, you cannot deny I'd love to do a whole series on biblical prophecy because what is happening right now in the world is completely in the control of our king. God is sovereign. God is over all. He did, you, know, you know, the one word in God that God doesn't have in his vocabulary is the word oops. He never says, oops. Oh, oh man, God bless you. No, he, never says, he never says, oh, man. I, I, I just blew that. I just, how did I let that get by me? No, he is sovereign. And it says the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. Amen? There's hope in this. Yeah, it sucks right now. It's, it's hard. But we can still celebrate. We can still have joy. We don't have to grieve this. Because God is going to be our sustainer. And you know, it says all creation groans for his return. We yearn for his return. Because in Psalm 90, I think I mentioned this last week, it says even in our best years, there's pain and suffering. 
even our best years. We all suffer in this life. We will suffer. But Nehemiah is saying, don't grieve because the Lord is going to, he's going to protect you. He's going to keep you. He's going to sustain you. He's going to fulfill you. Um, I read this quote yesterday. I thought it was so good. You don't really know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. You know, I've, heard, I've read so many stories of people that are in concentration camps, POW camps, and, and they have nothing but a cell, usually a filthy cell. They get, you know, they get horrible food, and they talk about the intimacy with Christ, the intimacy they have with the Holy Spirit while they're locked up, and how after they get out, they yearn for that intimacy. Because it's the presence of the Lord that sustains and strengthens. And you don't, it, and again, read this quote again, you don't really know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. So let me ask you, what's the, what's the thing that you, that you feel like you could never live without? If the answer is anything other than Jesus, you need to have a little adjustment because he is all you need. There's two kinds of people in the world. There are people who are desperate for God and there are people who know they are desperate for God. We're all desperate for God. We're all desperate for salvation. We're all desperate for Jesus. But until you actually know it, you probably won't be transformed in his presence. Um, we can have joy in our salvation. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 51, and it says, Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. The word restore, as Kelly talked about a couple weeks ago, means to put back to the original condition. Remember, in the Garden of Eden, in Genesis 1 and 2, it was the shalom of God, the peace of God, the relationship with the Lord, that, that intimacy and that closeness with God until sin entered the world. And that flipped everything upside down. But this scripture is saying, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And I just want to say this. If you can't think of a single thing to give thanks for, you can first of all give thanks for having breath in your lungs. Unless you're like Chase and you're in the hospital and you have COVID and you don't have any breath in your lungs. <laughs> you can give thanks for the breath in your lungs, but you can give thanks for salvation. If you know Jesus Christ, you always have something to be grateful for. And studies have shown you absolutely will be healthier and more content if you are a grateful person. See, the thing is you can change the way you think about things. And this is saying, Lord, bring me to the point where you restore to me the joy of your salvation. And it says we can have joy in our suffering. This is a rough one, okay? I'll just be honest. I struggled with this one for years. I did not understand how in the world can we have joy while we're suffering. Don't they seem counterproductive, counterintuitive? Don't they seem like they're opposites? And in our culture, in America, and in, in the culture of those who don't know Christ, suffering is considered, um, it's an interruption or it's a negative thing. But again, in the kingdom of heaven, the God of paradox turns everything right side up. And he says that in suffering, we can grow. 
more intimate with Christ. We can share in the fellowship of his sufferings. And it says in James 1, and a lot of you probably know this verse, but it says, consider it a great joy. Again, a great joy, mega charas, a huge blessing. Consider it a blessing, brothers and sisters, when you experience various trials. How many of you are experiencing a trial right now? You're in some kind of a trial. Only three of you. Well, thank God. I guess I'm preaching to the wrong church. <laughs> you guys are all liars. But the Bible does say that. <laughs> Bible says, let God be true and everyone a liar. So <laughs> that's what's happening. No, I mean, I, I understand. And I, I mean, looking around, I know that there are those of you, and you are in good seasons. And thank God for that. Thank God that you're in a good season. Um, I, I have my theory about that. I feel like about 75% of the time we're in trial and 25% of the time we're, we're doing well. But we should consider it joy when we experience trials of various kinds. It says, because the testing of your faith produces endurance or perseverance or long-suffering. And it says, and let endurance, perseverance, long-suffering, have its complete effect. It's saying, let it do what it's supposed to do. So I just urge you, if you are in, a, in a, a time of suffering in your life, if you're in a trial right now, don't try to wriggle your way off the operating table. Let Jesus remove whatever tumor, whatever thing it is in you that he wants to remove so that you can look more like him. Because the thing is, often when we get into a time of trial or suffering, we try to figure out the fastest exit from this. And Jesus is saying, let it do its work. He's saying, I want to change you. I want to make you more like me. I want to make you more in my image. I want to transform you by the renewing of your mind. So don't, don't try to get off the operating table. Stay there. Allow him to do what he's doing so that you can be mature, complete, and not lacking anything. C.S. Lewis says that you should, um, anytime you read a new book, you should go back and read an old book before you read a new one again. And I think that's really good counsel because there's a wisdom in the classics that last. One of my favorite books was published in 1869, and it's called Stepping Heavenward. And it is actually the journal of a young lady starting in 1830 um, named Elizabeth Prentice. And she writes this story kind of of her journey of faith, her journey of, of building her faith and then deconstructing her faith and then rebuilding her faith. And this woman suffers. She goes through so many hardships and trials. And this is her conclusion at the end of the book. And now it's in 1830s language. So, but it says, he only is truly happy who has no longer a choice of his own and lies passive in God's hand. He only is truly happy who has no longer a choice of his own and lies passive in, his, in God's hand. You see, he is the king of the universe. And he is in control of everything. And he is for you. And he wants you to succeed. And he doesn't want you to just get through the day. He wants you to thrive. 
God wants you to grow in the grace and knowledge of who he is. He doesn't want you to just get through week after week. He wants you to thrive and to experience the joy of his salvation and to experience the great joy that he promises despite suffering. And so just understand that just laying passive in his hand is the is the place you'll be the most content, trusting him despite what you see. You know, the Bible says we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporal, but what is unseen is eternal. And do you know that the trials that you're going through right now, the Bible, in light of eternity, it says that your trials are light and momentary. It seems almost insulting, but when you think that your life is a vapor, your trials are light and momentary in light of eternity. And it says that they will achieve for you a glory that will far surpass them all. And this is why we can have joy. Because God is in control. Even when it doesn't look like it, God is in control. It's like that song, Waymaker. Even though we don't see it, he's working. Even though we don't feel it, he is still God. He is still gracious and compassionate and forgiving and kind and loving and faithful. Even when you don't see evidence of that, you can trust what God says. The Bible says, do I promise and not act? God is always for you and he is always good, no matter what it looks like. You know, COVID has been um, a real source of pruning for the body of Christ throughout the world and throughout America. And I think that, that the Lord has used it to maybe bring some conviction to some of the ideologies that we have and some of the, the notions. And I'll tell you, one of the things that, is, that is, has been so destructive has been the prosperity gospel. And that gospel is one that, it's the name it, claim it, blab it and grab it gospel where, that says that if I do everything right, God owes me. That is so messed up. And it has hurt so many people because they really believed that if they did everything right, then God would owe them. Then God would have to bless them. And now God is always a blesser, but God defines blessing differently than we do. God defines blessing as having character which I've told him I feel like I have enough, but he doesn't agree with me. But having character, being patient, being able to lay down your life for others, losing your life for the sake of Christ, those are considered blessings. What do we think blessings are? Having a full bank account and no problems in our relationships and perfectly healthy and everything's going great. But how much do you grow during those times? You know, it's like the peaks and the valleys. It's, it's, again, the God of paradox turns it upside down, or turns it right side up, actually. And in, in the valleys is when he does the deepest work. It's on the mountaintop. You don't, I mean, you get to enjoy. You get to give thanks. You get to see the beautiful, spectacular view. But that's not, those aren't the times you grow. The times you grow are when you suffer. You guys hate this message, don't you? <laughs> you know, um, we were talking uh, last week. There were a group of us talking about suffering. 
And my friend, Kristen Mukar, if you don't know her, she, she does the announcements sometimes. She has long, dark hair. She is one of my heroes. And her story is crazy. She had stage four cancer. And um, her husband was telling the story. Big guy, Eli, he, was, he got baptized a couple weeks ago. He tells the story of Kristen and, and how when she was getting wheeled into surgery, how she had like, she was glowing. And she was just, people couldn't believe that she was just so content and so filled with joy. Even though the chances were she was going to probably die and leave her three little sons or young sons. But she was glowing. And then Eli tells a story of coming out in the morning when it's still dark. And Kristen would be there with her Bible and her cup of tea, tubes coming out everywhere. He said she, he'd come out and she would just be weeping with joy because she was so grateful to God. And, and um, there was a young man there and he was just asking her questions about that. And, and he goes, I want that. And Kristen and I, we both said the price is really, really high. Because you can't get that kind of intimate joy and that, that ability to lie passive in his hand unless you suffer. And you know, the, the world and the enemy, the evil one, Satan, whatever you want to call it, offers pleasure first, up front, followed by pain. But the kingdom of heaven offers pain leading to pleasure. Right? It's, he's turning it right side up. Jesus is saying, you can share in the fellowship of my suffering and the power of the resurrection. He's saying, I want to change you on that operating table. Don't try to escape. Lie passive in my hand. And you know, the thing is that cultural Christianity has lied to us. Cultural Christianity in America saying that you can just kind of be what I heard this quote and it says cultural Christianity is trying to hit two bullseyes with one arrow. It's like you're trying to live in the world. You're trying to get all the things that the world has to offer, but you want all the blessings of the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't work that way. You cannot have a dual life. It's either one or the other. Because remember, and, and I I apologize if this scripture has been used in a, in a negative way, but it still is the word of God. And, and Jesus says in Revelation that if you're lukewarm, it's saying he'll spit you out of his mouth. He wants you to be either hot or cold. And he's saying, choose life. Choose me. Choose surrender. You know, we sang that song. A lot of us are lying when we sing that song, I surrender. Because you don't really. I'm not trying to be hard or harsh, but I'm telling you, Jesus is coming back and he wants us to be ready. And there is a world out there that is living in darkness. In Psalm 126.5, it says, those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. Um, though one goes along weeping, carrying a bag of seed, he will surely come back with what? Shouts of joy. Carrying his sheaves. You know the shouts of joy? Like when a team wins, you're like, yeah! Woo! 
Sorry. Apologize. Sorry, sound guy. We are going to have this unbelievable, overwhelming joy, but we have to allow the suffering. We have to allow him to do whatever he's doing. I'm not just saying suffer for suffering's sake. I'm saying you have two choices. Either you suffer with the Lord or you turn your back on him and suffer by yourself. The two kinds of people, either you're desperate for God, but you don't know it, or you're desperate for God and you know it and you turn to him. You know, people would always ask me after Eric died, my husband, um, they would always ask, like, aren't you so mad at God? Like, how can you, how can you turn to God? Aren't you so angry at him? And that's, I mean, I, I understand anger with God and I think God can handle it. But I just, I, I was like, he's the only one who can comfort me in this excruciating pain. I can't, there's no one on earth that can comfort me, only him. So I was like, I, I wanted to turn to him and he changed me. He changed me. He changed me from the inside out. He changed my thinking. He changed my faith. And I went through this process. You know, there's the construction of your faith, and then there's the deconstruction of your faith, where a lot of young people, a lot of people your age, and you guys are probably wondering, I love, I love my, uh, my uh, Gen Z tribe, front row tribe. Okay, some of you are millennials. Okay. <laughs> but, but it's like uh, so many young people, they grow up in the church and then they walk away. And, and the thing is, there's a deconstruction, there's a tearing down of everything that they've believed. And a lot of things that people believe about God are just not true. And that's why, even though you might want to deconstruct your faith and start questioning some of the things, and I encourage you to question God is able to defend himself. The Bible is able to stand on its own. God is not threatened by your questions. I know that there are a lot of people in this area who say, don't ever question. Yes, question. Question what is true. Truth can stand on its own. Truth is truth. Like Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? And then Pilate, he left. He didn't wait for the answer. I'm like, dude, come on. I wanted to hear what Jesus said. (laughs) But Jesus did say he is a way, he is the truth, and he is the life. But um, Timothy Keller says this. I love Timothy Keller. Anybody know him? He's really academic and brilliant. Um, I don't agree with everything he says, but I really like him. But while other worldviews lead us to sit in the midst of life's joys for seeing the coming sorrows, Christianity empowers its people to sit in the midst of the world's sorrows, tasting the coming joy. Right? I love that quote. Again, the enemy is going to offer you pleasure up front, but then there's going to be a rush of pain. Anybody who's, who's been an addict knows this. Up front, it's like, yeah. Back end is bad. Whereas with the Lord, it says it, says it is good to bear the yoke while you are young to suffer, and to understand so that you can be made mature, complete, not lacking anything. There is joy in waiting. So there's the intertestamental period, which is the period um, in your Bible between, it's between Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament, and Matthew, which is the, the first book of the New Testament. And this is what the intertestamental period looks like. This represents 400 years of history. 
God was silent for 400 years. And you can read so many. If you have a chance, I really wanted to go into it today. But if you ever have a chance to study the intertestamental history, I would recommend it. So many things happen and so many having to do with prophecies concerning the return of the Lord. And so there's this silence for 400 years. Some people call it the silent period. Not that God wasn't still working, but ultimately what ended up happening was Rome went in and took over Israel. So Israel was in captivity at the beginning of the New Testament when these shepherds are out in that field. Israel was under Roman wicked captivity, and Herod was an evil ruler. And it says, um, it says, the people walking in darkness, this is Isaiah 9, <clears throat> have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. And then um, Verse 6 says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity never end. um, Some versions say, And of his kingdom there will be no end. Again, the kingdom of God. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever and ever. I want to suggest to you, you know, during this time with the Christmas carols, man, there's some serious doctrine going on in the the Christmas carols. I would recommend just, just read them just for what you can learn. I mean, some of the language is old, and so you have to kind of read. I was just listening to what it says, mild he lays his glory by. Born that man no more may die. Pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel, our God with us. It says he was a man and he was pleased to come and become a human being and to come and to dwell with us. But you know the reality of it? He came to suffer and to die Timothy Keller says, Christmas is a time that can be full of both joy and sorrow, but we have a God who came for us and he hears our cries. You know, there's that song, oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy, oh, tidings, sing it with me, tidings of comfort and joy. It's in a minor key, which is interesting, but comfort is the need when we suffer. And so it's saying that Jesus came not only to bring us joy, but to comfort us, which leads to that joy. It leads to that sense of, you know what? God's got this. That's a saying that our family has. God's got this. God's in control. He's got this. Psalm 1611, we have joy in his presence. It says, you reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy, and at your right hand are eternal pleasures. This is the whole point. This is the whole point. God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, sent his son to become human for us, to dwell with us, to suffer and to die for us so that we could be reconciled with God. And then he said, he sent his Holy Spirit to live with us, to teach us, to instruct us, to comfort us, to build us up, to fill us with joy. 
tidings of comfort and joy because God is with us. Amen. How many of you could use a little extra joy right now? God has a promise of joy for us. We're going to sing um, Joy to the World again, which incidentally is not a Christmas carol, but that's okay. It's always sung at Christmas. It actually wasn't written for Christmas, nor did the angels sing. Sorry to burst your bubble. They said. There are specific times when people sing. We're going to talk about that after Christmas, but the angels said, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth, goodwill to men. Why don't you stand and let us receive the blessing of joy that the Lord wants to give us, that great joy that he wants to give to all people, right? Amen? Oh, I guess we're not quite ready. Buy some time. Tell some jokes, circus boy. (laughs) I do want to say, if you have never come to Christ, if you have never given your heart to Jesus, if you don't know for sure that you're going to heaven, the Bible does say you can know for sure. It says you can have the assurance that you are going to go to heaven and dwell with God. And actually, it says that we're going to rule and reign with him. I am just so all about that. I am like, come Lord Jesus. Amen? And that's, that is what he wants to offer you today. If you have never given your heart to the Lord, if you have never surrendered, you've never been forgiven for your sins, I just want to encourage you today, please come and talk to me. Is there anybody here and you, and you know that you're not sure? Amen. Amen. Anybody else? You know that you don't, you're not sure. Anybody else? Just raise your hand. Amen. Amen. Well, Lord, we want to thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for the promise of heaven. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you that you have promised to bring us good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given, a savior, a Messiah, a rescuer, a deliverer, a forgiver, a comforter, our King. And Lord, we are so grateful and we bless you and we thank you that you have forgiven us. Lord, we thank you that you have eternal pleasures for us. You have eternal joy for us, a great joy for all people in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, here we go. Here's the moment of truth. Now is the moment where you choose joy. God says, I set before you life and death and I say, choose life, choose joy. Amen. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Amen. Okay, let me just say a real quick prayer for you and then we're going to go. Father, I thank you that you've said that we can have joy no matter what. No matter what the circumstances, we consider it pure joy when we encounter trials. And I pray right now, God, transform our minds. Holy Spirit, I just invite you, God. Change our minds. Help us to think about what is right and true and and excellent and praiseworthy and noble and all of the things, God, that point us to you. Let us experience that great joy that you came to deliver in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Take somebody out for brunch right now and experience joy this week in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.